I want to invite you to take your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4. We've had the privilege of going through the book of Ephesians here for the last couple of months. And if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one, there should be one there uh, in the seats by you or in the front. And uh, you can find, if you're new to the Bible, go to the first section there and it will have every book in the Bible and the corresponding page number if you want to check that out. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 17. Let me just give you a little bit of preface for this. This is an, as a whole, develop, or as we could say, implode or uh, reverse of, of being developed. Now, if you have your worship guide, we've got the outline on the back. And let me just give uh, the bulk of it to you right up front. The title of this, this message is Breaking with the Past. If we could raise hands, there's probably most of us who would say, there are things in my past that I would like to break with. Can we be real today? Like there are things that I have done, things that I've been involved in in the past, that I wish that there could be a total bone-crushing break from the past to where I am today. So we're going to talk about breaking with the past. And uh, we've got it basically in two sections here. The first section is, is a very encouraging, chipper way of how to ruin your life. Have you guys ever read a book on that? Probably not. I've never seen on the New York Times bestseller list five ways to ruin your life and totally be a success at it. Doesn't happen, does it, right? We read stuff that's going to help our lives. So, right here from the text, beginning there, uh, let me just give you the outline. If you want to jot this down so you can kind of listen and uh, be focused in, here is the outline. Number one, cause. Rejection of truth. What does rejection of truth cause? cause? It causes the symptoms of having a hard heart. So when we reject truth, there on your outline, we get a hard heart, the symptom. The second cause. So now that we have a hard heart, that should go into the second cause. We now, because of the hard heart, we get a darkened mind. And we're going to break down what this means. So we've got rejection of truth leads to hardness of heart. Then hardness of heart leads to a darkened mind. And then a darkened mind leads to alienation from God, right? That means separation from God. You can actually write in that area a deadened soul. So if we're alienated, if we're separated from God, then the last two, the cause and the symptom would be the last cause if we are, here it is, alienated from God then the result is narcissism. The narcissism explained very quickly is you are so consumed with yourself that life is like the Toby Keith song, I want to talk about who? I want to talk about this guy, right? I want to talk about me. So that is the final product. So, And that is how, by the way, to ruin your life. Let's talk very quickly, give you that line on how to restore your life. First of all, to hear the gospel. There in verse 20. You gotta hear the gospel. Secondly, you gotta be there in verse 21 and 23, changed by the gospel. Third, when you are changed by the gospel, after you hear the gospel, you then, here it is, you obey the gospel. 
Then when you're obeying the gospel, here's what you do. You put off, this is kind of weird, we're going to break this down, what this means, what it doesn't mean. You're going to put off the old you. Here's what the old you is. Old patterns of behavior. Old, secondly, desires. So if we put off the old us, then we've got to put on the new us, which is, first off, no longer alienated from God. There in verse 18 and 24. No longer alienated from God. To be alienated means to be separated from. Then we have the righteousness of God versus versus self-righteousness. So we're no longer fake. We're now for real. And I know English majors, that's not proper grammar, but it puts the point across very quickly. There's always a person, excuse me, Jeff, that was not proper. Nobody cares, right? Righteousness versus self-righteousness. And finally... Holiness. We're going to talk about what that means and what it does not mean. But guys, here what we have in this passage is an incredible picture of the descent of man. The descent of people. Now, now go, go with me to verse 17 if you have it in your Bibles. I'm just going to read this and go all the way through verse 24. Then we're going to break it down. Number 17, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles meaning people who do not follow God. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here it is. Due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, which means sexual sin, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But, but, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off, here it is, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. Notice true, not fake. In true righteousness and holiness. Say, Jeff, man, how, how does all this stuff start to where people like give themselves over to sin? You ever been around somebody and they just give up? They have, like they have totally thrown in the towel. Here's how it begins. When, when a person adopts a narcissistic lifestyle to where it's just like, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care what God or anybody says. It's all about me. The, how does that happen? Well, it comes from being alienated from God. Well, how are you alienated from God? Well, you're alienated from God because you have a dark mind. Before I was saved, this was me. That means that the way you think is contrary to the way that you should think, even though when you're thinking that way, you think it's rational and it's really not. Well, a darkened mind comes from a hard heart, and a hard heart is produced by rejecting what God says. And the main idea you have it there in your outline is this. Rejection of truth brings emptiness. But the acceptance of truth brings fullness. And with any crowd this size, um, let me warn you, this, this, this is, a not, this is not a, uh, uh, 
an easy passage. This thing is rock solid of hard hitting knock. So when we jump into this, it's going to be detailed. This is going to be intense. Are you guys ready for it? All right, not, not trying to hype anything up or you know get a WCE, WEC you know environment going on here. Are you ready you know to smell what the rock is cooking? But the, some of you got that. But this passage is incredible, and it's going to seem very abrupt, very in your face, very hardcore. But that is what the text says. And as we say every few weeks, when we come here to Rocky Baptist Church, we don't want to hear what Jeff thinks or what Jeff says or what anybody up here thinks. We talk about what does God say. You guys all right with that? All right, that's the way that we roll. So here it is. Notice there in verse 17, Paul says, This I say and testify in the Lord. When he says testify, this is the word where we get our English word martyr from. Right? Was it Benjamin Hale who said, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country, the patriot, right? The American Revolution who was hung by the, by the, by the British. And, and then we read about Christians even today, today in Iran and China, all around the world who are being like literally, literally killed for being Christians and telling other people that they should turn to Christ. That is happening now. So, whenever you see the word to testify, the, the, the picture is, is there's somebody who's so rock solid in their belief, check this out, that they will be willing to get in front of a coliseum without any weapons, without a technon, without a bazooka, and to say, Jesus is Lord, knowing that if they don't say Jesus is not Lord, but Caesar is Lord, there are going to be these heavy, dusty iron gates that are going to, dis- that get, going to ascend, and then there's going to be gladiators and ravenous animals who will come and kill them. That's what it means to be a witness. Now, I don't know about you, but that challenges the daylights out of me, Right? Sometimes we're like, yeah, man, I went to church. What, what? Who was at church? Who was at church? This guy. We might invite somebody. We might even read our Bible and we're like, yes, I'm doing good. But man, to be a biblical testifier, to be a martyr, means that you'll be willing to live and die for Christ. Paul was in prison. He was under house arrest when he said this. So question to everybody here, are you willing to live for Christ, but are you willing to die for Christ? Am I willing to do that? That's why he says that you must no longer walk as the way that the Gentiles do. Now, he's talking to Gentiles. Remember we talk about Ephesus, right? They had gladiatorial games. They had pagan religion, which was basically, and I'm not trying to be bad here, but they had, it was like religion in lingerie. It was totally twisted and perverted. They had like, they had temple prostitutes That's like when you went to worship, you went down Hooker Lane. That's what happened. It was so bad in Ephesus that when they they didn't call like um, like sorcery and, and magic and witchcraft and all that those books that were written they didn't call those like magic books. Um, they called those Ephesian writings. So you talk about a culture that is that is steeped in in like sexual perversion, demonic worship, bloodlust, greed, every type of evil that you can imagine. Then he says, "Don't long, no longer." Notice verse seventeen: "You must no longer walk as they do." Now hold on, 
He's talking to people and that's their family. Is he really saying that a Christian should break ties even if it's with their family? Here's what happens. We've talked about this before, right? Somebody gets saved for real. Y'all, y'all with me? You know what I'm talking about? Like they, they get saved for like they're really on fire. They're like, man, I am for Jesus. I am ready. I will live for him. I will die for him. And their family's like, man, we don't mind you going to church, but you've been doing some of this because you're just crazy. You're going too far. You're too radical. You're too devoted. You're too committed. Why don't you just, just go and come home and act like it doesn't matter? And they're like, well, dude, I can't because it does. Because I got saved. I'm different. That's why Paul says to declare war on your former way of life. Not to declare like jihad and, and be a crazy person who uses religion for violence. But he's saying that the former way of life, what you had been saved from, no longer walk in that way. He's saying change your lifestyle. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Here it is. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised from the dead. That means that the scripture was given so that we could no longer live like we used to live. You guys ever taken a look back? Like down memory lane. Example, your middle school and high school pictures. When you thought that you were so cool, right? You were too cool for school. You know, you guys, you were rocking that mullet business in the front, party in the back. Girls, you had like the big poof hair. It's like back then, like we thought we were awesome, right? In the 60s or 70s, 80s or the 30s or the 20s, or the 1800s, whatever you fit into. You know, you, we thought we were awesome, right? It was like so cool. And now when people look back at that, you know what they say? Ha! He's saying, look back. And it's so, it's so funny when we look back, like we're looking back on memory lane, and, and back here, we thought we were so awesome, and then maturity and years later, we're like, you're an idiot! What are you thinking? And Paul's saying when you look back upon your former life, everything that you thought that was awesome, and they were living for was important, you know, money and, and greed and sex, I mean, it doesn't, it, you look at it now and you're like, that is empty. I could get all of that stuff. I could get everything a man or a woman could ever desire. But in the words of King Solomon, it would be, here it is, in the futility, in the emptiness, in the vanity of their mind. You see, Jeff, what, what is it talking about here? It means that before we are saved, The things that we really live for and we think are going to make us happy. And by the way, all of those things have never made anybody happy before. But let me tell you how self-deluded we are. We look at these things like, if we could only get more money. If we could only, guys, get a little bit bigger muscularly. Girls, if you could only be a little bit prettier. If you could only this, only this, only more, 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 more. Then we would achieve, quote, quote, happiness. But it's never happened for anybody before. And we're so self-deluded, we think that if we can chase that elusive thing called the American dream, that we can once for all capture happiness and be happy. But it doesn't work that way, does it? 
That's why the Bible says that it is an empty, vain, futile mind. Hear the Carly Simon song. I know this brings back bad memories for those of you. You're so vain. You remember that one, right? Like the You're So Vain song. What does it mean to be vain, man? It, some of you are like, I can't believe that that just happened. It did. It's all right. Get over it. So you talk about vain, man. What does it mean to be vain and empty? It means to be like, and I love this. I was in the workout um, room one time, and um, I'm, you're like, you don't. I, I was there, and there was a guy. You know how sometimes girls, you can, you can always, you, guys can see it sometimes, girls, maybe, I don't know. But, but guys will try to sneak a little flex in the mirror. You know what I'm talking about? The mirrors that surround the whole room, right? The flex mirrors. You know how some guys will like, they'll raise the shirt sleeve a little bit and see that one vein, and they're like, oh, yeah. Who's got, got it going on? You do. You are the man. You know, and they're benching like 95 pounds, you know. And so I, I noticed this one guy, and this guy just did not care. He, he pulled up the shirt sleeve, and he did a little Arnold, Arnold prop right here, and he was like this, you know, pumping it back and forth. And he was just, it was like, it was like a love upon love relationship. He was in love with his biceps. He was like, you are the man. And then he basically did kind of like this look up and down like, that's right. And he just walked off, and I was like, that was awesome! He thinks he's the man! He was pretty big, I'm just going to say. But when you are empty in vain, it's speaking that the things that we think are important are actually not important. And that's why he says, no longer live that way. You're a follower of Christ here today. The reason why God has given you a job, it's so that you can have something to give. I'm not saying that you give everything away. We have to realize that everything comes from God. The reason why God has given us health is not so we can live happy lives, but so we can give everything. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle like a horse... Y'all all right? Bridle, hold on, control, bridle his tongue, meaning your words, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed, that's a cool word, isn't it? Ransomed, to buy back from slavery. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, the empty, verse 17, ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, Peter is talking to Jewish people, a.k.a. people who were raised to hear and memorize God's Word. Church people. You with me? Paul is talking to people who when they went to church temple, there were temple prostitutes there, and their version of a... Friday night good time is seeing people slaughtered and being steeped in demon worship. So you got like the really church crowd, and then can you help me out on this one? Like the really, 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 really uber not church crowd. We okay? Like some of you guys, are like, man, I got some tough friends. I doubt they're like, hey, you want to go see some people killed tonight? Like, probably not. Maybe not that hardcore. That's what would have happened in Ephesus, all right? Both crowds, please don't miss this. Church crowd, really, really not church crowd. Both of their way of life is described as futile and empty. 
If you're here today and your great-great-great-granddaddy or grandmother was a member of the church and you have carried down that church membership tradition, whatever that means, and you think because of that that you somehow have peace with God, you are sorely mistaken. It gets really quiet, doesn't it? If you think simply coming here and whether you dress up or whether you don't dress up, and you think because coming that you do God a service, and because you have something that looks like this, a church membership card, that you're going to heaven, and then it's like, I've been there, done that. It doesn't work that way. You are living an empty life, and you will face God on Judgment Day, and you can hold up any religious certificate you can make or find on eBay, but it won't make a hill of beans difference. The only thing that saves a person from a church lifestyle, a person from a non-church lifestyle, is Jesus Christ forgiving you and making you a new person. That's it. To be futile means to be empty. So let's begin to break this down. When he says, don't live as the Gentiles do, you know what he's saying? This gets kind of scary. Especially new Christians, please don't miss this. What he's saying here is that I want you to do an about face to everything that you used to live for. We're not talking about things like godly families and loving your children. not talking about that. But everything in the worldly system. So here's what's going to happen. When you do that, people are going to see you as very, very weird. This is Virginia. This is the South. You can come to church, man, and we're glad that you're here. But if if you get on fire for Christ, it's like a... Horace Mann wrote wrote this one time. He said, if the majority are insane, the sane must go to the hospital, meaning the mental ward. Imagine this. Tomorrow we wake up, all of us who are sane, not sure if I'm in that category or not, all right? All the sane people are now insane. Or what if it were reversed, all the sanity that we know becomes insanity. And we're like, this is clear. And the people in charge who are insane, but now think that we are insane, would say, no, you're going to the slammer. That's what it is many times for people who begin to follow Christ. Especially in the South. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. If you begin to really follow Christ and get out of the, just, you know, like the average person who comes to church, you'll be looked at as a radical. You really will. You know why? Because in the South, can we say this? It is so, I wish I had a samurai sword because I could like cut off awkward chunks and we could like get, sell them and give them to missions. This is tight right now. What we've done in the South is we've bought into the, this mentality that church is something that we do, whereas the Bible teaches that Christ becomes the Lord of every aspect of our life. Financially, time-wise, what we see, how we live. That's why the Scripture says, do not harden your heart. I pray that God gives us some crazy people. Y'all okay? I pray that God gives us more and more people at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church 
who the majority of the church people, much less the folks who don't even know Christ. Like, I don't know what they're smoking at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but it must be the yon green herb that grows in the field, but I don't want any of those people are nuts. They changed around their budget and they're giving all this money to missions. They're reaching out to people who don't look like them and smell like them. Different socio, y'all all right? Different socioeconomic class, different ethnicities. Man, they're just not, it's not, I'm not comfortable with that. But we're faithful to Christ. The world will call us crazy, but God will call us faithful until the end. Can you say amen to that? Good time to say it. Say, now, Jeff, we're talking about how to ruin your life. Very quickly, the first step is to reject God's truth. One of the best examples of this is Pharaoh from the Old Testament. Remember, right? Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments movie. You with me, all right? Technicolor, all right? So, so the Israelites are there. God sends Moses and says, Moses, I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Here's what happens. God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh hardens his own heart. You're like, Jeff, can, can God do that? Well, Pharaoh had already resisted God's command. And here's what happens all through Scripture. Whenever we resist the truth of God's Word, we get a hardened heart. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what happens. When we are hardened in our heart, it's like God simply saying, okay, you don't want to listen to me? Fine. I'll give it to you. That's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? The fact that we can resist what God says and God simply says, okay, you don't want me in your heart. You don't want me in your life. I've tried time and time again to speak to you, but you have resisted it. It's almost, it's almost like God's like, well, your will be done. You know, one of the worst things that God can do is to give us what we want. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, or verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness, this is speaking of the Antichrist who's going to come one day. For those who perish, here's talking about all the people who are going to follow the Antichrist in the end times. Because they did not receive the truth, the love of the truth, as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. You're like, dude, that's crazy. How can God do that? Because if you reject truth, the only other option is what? A a lie. And if we reject the truth, and reject the truth, and reject the truth, We're going to end up having no other option but a lie. So it's not like God is sitting back here like, let me see whose heart I can harden. But it's simply the final cap on a long life that is lived with a hard heart. Secondly, we've got hard heart leads to darkened mind. That's why it says there in verse 17, the futility of their minds. Verse 18, check it out. They are darkened in their understanding. Verse 18 It says, because of the ignorance that is in them. It means a mind that functions, but not according to the way God's law and God's word would function. You guys ever seen um, Batman movie, The Dark Knight? Alright, anybody seen that? Okay, it's an incredible movie because it deals with this issue. Opening scene of the movie, bank robbery. All these guys run in with machine guns and they've got these clown masks on. And like after... Robber A does his job, Robber B shoots him. And then once Robber B does his job, Robber C shoots him. And at the end, it's like only one guy left. And you're, do you ever do this? Like you're watching movies, you're like, he's going to go down. Yep. He's going to die. 
Here, here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, you're dumb. You're dumb. Oh, you just got wasted. And we look at that and we're like, if you're in cahoots with a crazy person who's willing to rob a bank, it's very likely that they're going to knock you off too. The criminal mind, and by the way, I don't mean just civil criminality, but the mind that is separated from God says that it's all about me. It's an empty, dark, ignorant mind. Remember the Beatles song, Let It Be, Let It Be? At this point, God says, you know what? If you don't want me in your life, I'll just give you what you want. And I'm going to let you be. What a terrible way to end your life. Imagine that. God comes time and time again. I, I had heard many messages growing up in church, but I had rejected the voice of God many, many times. And my heart had grown hard. And my mind had grown dark. Who are the things that God said were important? I didn't think they were important at all. And then what that leads to is alienation from God. Now the word here, alienation from the life of God, the word life here, the Greek New Testament, it is zoe. There's another word for life that's bios, like our biological life, like our physical life. Well, the zoe is the literal, it's like the life of God that when we get saved, we become alive to the things of God. That means that everything that we used to live for that is wrong, we look at that and we're like, that was a waste. C.S. Lewis says, a man who has changed from having bios like just simply human life to Zoe, would have gone through as big a change as a statue which changed from being a carved stone to a real man. Wow. That's what happens when you get saved. That's what happens when you give your life to Christ. You become a new creation, not because we make ourselves into it, but because of what God does. And finally, we've got here narcissism. Narcissism. Romans chapter uh, 1 deals with this. It talks about all sorts of things that once we, God gives us up to our own desires, we begin to desire, check this out, what actually kills us. You ever wondered about this? Like all the things that, 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 that so many of us have struggled with? Like all those things? No, we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, always in the church, it's like, well, don't smoke and don't drink and don't chew and don't go girls with the do, do and all of these outward things. But it's the matters of the heart. Things like bitterness, things like unforgiveness, things like, watch out, church people, self-righteousness in pride. You know, the church people that walk so high that they would drown in a rainstorm looking down on people. Some of you will get that later. All of the things that go on inside. It is all of those things that God will give us over to. Say, you don't want me? Fine. I will give you what you want. And then what happens at the end of the day? We are filled with self. We are filled with pride. We are filled with bitterness. And we are ultimately filled with nothing that has to do with the life of God. And that's where some of you are today. Can we just be honest? But then you come to verse 20. What's the first word there? But... Isn't that awesome? A little conjunction there. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. This, this is saying that because of what Jesus has done, man, you don't have to live that way anymore. Right? I mean, it's like because of what Christ has done, you can go back to Ephesians chapter, chapter 4 or chapter 2 verse 4. And it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, by grace you have been saved. Amen, church? 
Like, that is it. But, it says, this is not the way you learn Christ. Meaning, that you could have lived for yourself, you could have even had a hardened heart, but one day God breaks through and is like, look, look, Hoss, you're wrong. And we like excuses today in America, don't we? Right? Like, the reason why I did this is because my parents tied my shoes too tight when I was a kid. Y'all okay? School teachers? Got any school teachers in the house? All right? Reason why I went crazy at school is because somebody five years ago told me that I looked dumb with my pants too high and my hat to the side. And we, we, we're really good, right? Like targeting all of these blame arrows. Well, like we're snipers at that. Like, let me see who I can pin the blame on. Him, her, them. And we've got all these blame games that we do. But what God does when he shows up, he's like, ah, da, da, um. it's your choice, and it's your sin. And we come to that place of brokenness like, you know what, God? I have had people hurt me. I have had things happen that were not good. But at the end of the day, God, it is my choice to follow you or not. I have chosen. Y'all okay? I have chosen here, 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 and as far back as I can remember to reject your truth. But today you've shown me that I need you in my life. I've got bios. I've got a biological life. But I do not have the life of God. I realize that I need your forgiveness. I've not been the man, the woman that I need to be. I need Christ now. Those monsters of excuses just seem to fade away like phantom dreams. We get saved for real. We know how to waste our life. We know how to ruin it. Here's how how to save it. We hear the gospel. The gospel that says there's nothing good that you can do to get into heaven. There's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of behavior modification to stop these bad things and and start these good things. There's no amount of that that can offset the balance of sin. There's nothing that you can do to change your heart. Sure, you can change your behavior, but it's God who's worried about your heart and He wants to come and change you right now. And the Gospel says that Jesus came and He died. He suffered and bled and He was buried for three days, but then He rose from the dead. Y'all okay? He rose from the dead and He's alive today and He will change your life if you'll only let Him. And hear the Gospel. Then you're changed by the Gospel. Verse 21, notice what it says. And we're taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And when you are changed by the Gospel, that means that you get changed like what John MacArthur said, from a loser to a winner. There's one uh, middle school student at the the church in, in Houston, man, and I don't know why he told this to anybody. I wouldn't. But his middle school basketball team lost. Y'all ready for this? 63 to 7. Can you even do that? We're kind of like, man, you could do this like once or twice a game and score seven points. What happened? Did you have five guys? I was like, bro, do you need some counseling or something? Like in middle school to get beat that bad, you are an loser. And all the mercies, I can't believe he just did that. If you're in 7th grade, 8th grade, and you lose 63-7 to in the basketball game, there's no amount of your grandmother saying, Oh, honey, you did good. You feel like double A1 class loser. But what the gospel does, seriously, it changes you from being a loser to a winner. When you obey the gospel, you put off, notice verse 22, old patterns of behavior. It says right there to put off your old self. It's speaking of... Have you guys ever gone into Goodwill and seen some of those jackets, right? Some of those jackets, you're like, man, somebody sported that back in the day and that would have been awesome. Like jackets that you wouldn't wear except for maybe in a 
like a costume party or something like that. You got something on that, that doesn't fit. It's not good. It's diseased. It's bad. It's saying, take that thing off like an old jacket and throw it to the side. It's saying, be changed like a dog chasing its tail. You ever seen that? You're like, you're watching this dog. You're like, you are so dumb. Even if you catch your tail and you kill your tail, you're hurting yourself, right? And the dog's like, I got to get the tail, got to get the tail, got to get the tail. And he's just going crazy to bite himself. That is what living outside of the forgiveness of God is. And then what happens is that when you get saved, you're no longer alienated from God. You don't have self-righteousness anymore. And by the way, if you're here today, man, and you've heard, like God has spoken to your spirit, like you need to be saved. You don't need to join the church. You don't need to do any, any of this hour stuff. You need a new heart. And you're like, well, God, but I've done this and I've done that. You know, like when I was in, in RAs, any of you know in RAs, Southern Baptist thing. You know, and I, and I got my knife. As, by the way, Southern Baptists are the only group that they're like, okay, memorize the verse. God is love. Cool. Let's give you a weapon, right? Some of you guys remember that? You get the little knife and it's got all the tools and stuff. You go outside of church and you're like, and the parents are like, where did you get knives? We got those at church, mom. Great. So you, 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 you look at all of this stuff and we focus upon what we've done. That is self-righteousness. This is not, like I heard one preacher say, guys, this is not the Christian prom. This is not an event where we come so that we can look good to all of these other people. So they'll say, wow, you're so awesome. But it's a place that we come to hear God's word and to be changed by God. Where is your heart this morning? Church members, this is church members. Church members, where is your heart? Does your heart desire God's truth? Does it desire to say, God, would you speak to me? You say, now, Jeff, how do I really follow Christ in, in, in righteousness and holiness? Here's a very practical way. Find a church that preaches God's word. Find some people within that church and follow Christ with them. And by the way, if you're looking for a mentor, ladies, to mentor you in following Christ, young men, if you're looking for an older man to mentor you and saying, here's what it looks like to actually follow Christ, they will look very, very radical. They will look very unashamedly radical. Remember Vance Havner, he's an old, 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 old preacher. Like, you know, one of these guys just sit back and just, you know, go for it. He said, uh, he said that the church has become so subnormal that if we ever become, like, biblically, what the Bible says, normal, we'll be looked at as, as abnormal. Finally, holiness. Uh, Russell Moore, who's an incredible man of God, was able to, with his wife, adopt a, a kid from a, place in Russia. He said these, these little, these, these babies in, in the orphanage had uh, been neglected to the point that they stopped crying because they know it, nobody would come. You ever been around babies, right? They just, they just cry. It's got those pipes and they just let it out. You're like, man, we got the future Pavarotti, you know, the singer right here. But they stopped. They stopped crying. They knew nobody would come. When when they went there, he said that you know the little little boy was just in his own in his own filth, and they they got him, cleaned him up, and, and they began to take him out of that orphanage. The only thing he'd ever known. He said when, when they carried him out the door, it was like he just turned to the only thing he'd ever known. 
And he just began to scream as loud as he possibly could with those little bitty, those little bitty baby arms kind of like stretching, stretching back towards slavery and a life of no love. And he said, you know what? That's the way we are sometimes. Christ comes and he rescues us from our addictions and our pride, and our self-righteousness. And sometimes we look back to what we knew, and we scream, and we go back towards it, as if we're being taken to prison, when we're actually being taken out of prison. 